0: morning, everybody. I am Dave Burden. I'm the pastor at the Creve Hall congregation here for Randy this morning. Um, First things first, you hopefully are, if you feel something uncomfortable underneath you, you've sat on a copy of the book of Acts, which is a book in the Bible. Uh, So take that out from underneath you. Uh, This is a gift to you. Uh, So we are encouraging you to take this with you. This has the text of the book of Acts uh, with uh, places for notes. And really why uh, we've intentionally done this is to encourage you to take notes and to journey along, to reflect on this, not just here on Sunday morning, but when you're at home uh, and to use this as an opportunity to put down how the Lord's using this scripture in your life uh, in this season. So uh, this is the ESV. We're actually going to be, I'm reading from the NIV or Gail is going to read from the NIV this morning. So a slightly different translation, uh, but we would really encourage you to take this uh, and trust that as we get in God's Word, uh, it'll shape you. Okay? Great? Good. All right. Gail, come on up. Everybody, this is Gail George. Yes. She is going to be reading from the book of Acts. Uh, This is Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. The Fellowship of Believers. They devoted themselves in the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the Apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. All right, this is God's word. Let me uh, let me pray for us, Lord. Uh, open our hearts uh, to you. Uh, we talked last week about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you say that the Holy Spirit teaches and guides and reveals us, uh, reveals to us all truth, uh, and so. Be the teacher, uh, be the truth teller, uh, be the heart convictor and the leader uh, this morning. We pray in your name, amen. So uh, this is the second week in a new series. Um, We started this series last week, Randy launched this series off for you guys here and the series is called Bearing Witness. Uh, I think the subtitle is The Adventure of Acts and we are looking at the life or the beginning of the early church in Acts And we're not just observing it, we're looking at it for a particular reason. We're actually looking at the plan, or maybe you'd use the word the mission, that God was accomplishing through his people in the book of Acts. The team of pastors has been reading a book over the past few months called Canoeing the Mountains, um, very interesting book. Uh, And there's a quote in that book that has kind of stuck in my brain uh, for months now, and uh, it gets at this idea of the plan or the mission that we're gonna see unfold as we go through the book of Acts. And it says this, it says, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. I'm gonna read that again. It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, we're not just a gathered group of people and he says, okay, you're gathered now and I've got something for you to do. It's that God has a church for his mission. That's why we exist as the church. So it would be akin to this. If you're a part of a sports team and you never actually went out and played that sport, that would seem a little odd, wouldn't it? Right, if we just got together in order to practice and to be together all the time and to fellowship, that wouldn't be the reason we were a team. God has a mission, not for his church, but a church for his mission. And that's what the book of Acts is about. Luke wrote this book, the former book. Uh, His Gospel is all about what Jesus says there in the beginning of Acts, began to do and teach until he ascended, which Randy taught on last week. But Acts is about the continuation of Jesus' work through his church. Because Jesus' mission didn't stop at his ascension. He, remember, he commanded them, I want you to wait in (laughs) Jerusalem, right, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I've promised that, which is gonna be essential for me, Jesus, to carry out my mission through you. You will not have the power to accomplish that mission, your role in that mission, without me. He even says in John that you, this is an astounding statement, you're gonna go on to do greater things than me because of that Holy Spirit indwelling in you because I'm going to the Father and the Spirit's coming to you. So that's the mission, right? Bearing witness, it says this in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be, sorry, a little ringing. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the mission. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. He says, what, well, you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation. Why? That you might declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into His glorious light. I've chosen you. I've given you this, this designation. you're a priest, you're a mediator of the divine. This is how the gospel goes public now, is not through Jesus, but through Jesus in you. You're a holy nation. You're not just individuals, you're a bunch that you collectively together might declare the praises of him who brought us all out of darkness and into light. That's what we're called to bear witness to. And the truth is, is if you get the gospel, and everybody at least has had one moment of their life like this when the gospel has really wrecked you, when you've witnessed something as spectacular as what's happened for us in Jesus Christ, when something spectacular happens for you, and that's what's happened for us in Jesus, you talk about it, Right? We are all natural evangelists, all easily talk about the things that we love and the things that love us, easily, right? made me think about What About Bob? How many people have seen What About Bob? This is dating myself, yeah. Go watch it again, because some movies don't last, and some do, and that one does. (laughs) You remember when Bob uh, got brought on to Good Morning America? or he brought himself, I guess, kind of onto Dr. Leo Marvin's interview about his book, Baby Steps, right? And Leo Marvin's kind of melting down, right, in his home at Lake Winnipesaukee. And finally, uh, I think it's Marie turns to Bob. She's like, well, Bob, what do you think about Baby Steps? And what did he say? Who can quote it for me? What did he say? Mashed potatoes and gravy, Marie. That's what I think about Baby Steps. I couldn't be happier. Right? And this man, this man, because of this man, he says, I'm now on national TV. I don't even know what's going on right now, but I'm very excited. (laughs) Exactly. That's it. Except God is not some jealous, neurotic Leo Marvin. He wants it to go public through you. You're the natural evangelist now, right? Because he's... Stepped into your life and done something, and now I, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm very excited, and I want to talk about it. So if that's what we're called to, if that's, that's the mission of the church, and we need the Holy Spirit to accomplish, to bear witness like that, um, there's something really important this passage teaches us about what it means to stay in step with the Spirit that we have been given. Because so I don't know about you, but I can live and Bible's replete with places that talk about this, I can have something and not live like I have something, right? I can have all this riches in Christ and live like I'm, I'm poor in Christ, right? Paul talks about it in Galatians 5 where he says, now you live by the Spirit, but you, can, you need to stay in step with the Spirit, which infers that you could fall out of step with the Spirit, so what the early church did who had received the Spirit, to stay in step with the Spirit is very important. To stay in step with the power that they had been given through the Holy Spirit. And that's what this passage, I really think, teaches us a lot about. So three things we're gonna look at in this passage, right? What they did, why they did it, and what happened as a result, okay? What did they do, why did they do it, and what happened as a result? First thing, what they did. Verse 42 says, I'm get a drink of my LaCroix. Sorry for all of you who don't have one. <laughs> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They devoted themselves. Uh, maybe some of the other You know, translations of Scripture, uh, Old King James would say they continually gave themselves over, that they steadfastly gave themselves over to these four things. And I'm going to argue here through kind of what they did and why they did it, that why they did that, they stepped into these four things, kept them in the stream of God's steadfast love for them, which ultimately transformed and sustained them into a powerful magnetic force in a very, very broken world. All right? Now, if you want to hear in depth, uh, I actually chose this passage and taught on this passage for four straight weeks in January for our, our vision series. So I'm not going to go way down into depth about all four of these areas. If you want to do that, I don't, I don't know if there's a passage I've probably preached on more than this passage. Uh, but let's talk about those four things that they did for a second. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Because these were, some people would call these spiritual disciplines. Uh, I'm going to refer to them, and they're not, not spiritual disciplines, but I'm going to refer to them as means of grace. Ways that grace flows into your life. These practices were the ways that their gospel-cut hearts never healed up. Because there, there are some wounds All of us are, you know, obviously want wounds to heal. There are some wounds you don't want to heal. There are some cuts you want to remain open so that gospel grace, gospel goodness, gospel medicine can flow into regularly, right? And that's what these practices were doing for them. These four marks of devotion that defined the daily life rhythms of the early spirit-filled church in acts and the effect of that of being devoted to these things continually and steadfastly giving themselves over to these things is that it matured them right it deepened their experience of something they already had it matured them in their relationship to the Lord and his love for them it grew them in that it grew them in their love for one another Right? The fellowship that they were experiencing. And it led to a remarkable love for the world around them. You see how it kind of works from the inside out? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is effectively saying this they gave authority to the Word of God and regularity to putting their face in the Word of God. They said, This is what I turn to for truth and for wisdom and for guidance on all of life and life's meaning, right? I didn't, I don't, uh, you know, go to the internet. I go here. And what were the apostles teaching? If you go back earlier, just up a few verses, Peter preaches his first sermon, right? Peter the coward who betrayed Jesus and said, I'll never leave you until he did, right? And then all of a sudden, powered up by the Holy Spirit, he goes and preaches this really bold sermon, but what did he teach? If you just go look at what he taught, Peter taught the Bible. If you look at his first sermon, I mean, he was bold. I mean, he looked at a group of people and says, you know, Jesus whom you crucified, right? So I guess he wasn't afraid of shaming people at that point. But he taught out of Joel 2. He taught out of Psalm 16. He taught out of Psalm 110. He basically walked him through the entire Old Testament in a very, very short way and saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, promises, and covenants, What the apostles taught was scripture, right? And they devoted themselves to being taught God's word. The Holy Spirit teaches it to you when you open it up, but that's what we're doing right now. I need to be taught the scriptures. They fellowship with the Lord through his word, also through prayer, which was another one of their main devotions. And their fellowship with the Lord began to shape their fellowship with one another, right? The vertical relationship begins to shape the horizontal relationship. And oftentimes, if you look at our horizontal relationships, right, how we love one another, it tells us a lot about how we're experiencing the love of God. The vertical relationship shaped the horizontal one and fueled this fellowship that they had, that they were devoted to. The word there for fellowship is koinonia, which is, we hear the word fellowship and we think about hanging out, maybe we think about having conversations, connecting over shared interests. There's nothing inherently bad about that, but their fellowship, their koinonia that they had was something wholly other than that, right? It was more critical than that. Maybe think of it like this. Uh, It's like the fellowship that people struggling and overcoming addiction experience in recovery. If you've ever been an addict, you know what I'm talking about. Right? The fellowship that shared sense of collective purpose, of of belonging and of of ownership. Like we think about fellowship and we think about, I wanna belong to something. But if you even think about that word belonging, that's also how we talk about our possessions, right? That belongs to me. That's what we're talking about here. Their fellowship was, is I have ownership in this. I belong to it and it belongs to me, right? People who are struggling and overcoming an addiction experience that sense when they're together because they're not confused about the fact that they need each other deeply in a particular way, right? Because in isolation, the chances of falling off the wagon is immensely higher, they know that. They don't just care about their own sobriety, they care about the other sobriety and they see that we need one another for that to happen, right? We're linked together in that way. Think, when you think fellowship, the way they're talking about it, think Tolkien and Fellowship of the Ring, Right, A unique band of individuals gathered for a purpose, each contributing what they could to the overall cause. You think about that fellowship, I mean, it's a quirky bunch of folks, right? You know, you the short bearded cave dweller dude. Is he an elf? No, the elf's the really good looking, the dwarf. Yeah, sorry. The dwarf, the elf, the king, the furry-feated people, right? That's the kind of fellowship. It was a community, the Acts early church community, was a community that took a deep sense of responsibility for one another. Not in a dutiful way. You hear that word responsible and everybody's like, uh. But because of Love. Right, The vertical relationship was shaping the horizontal relationship. They served and they sacrificed for one another and beyond, beyond this community, out into the world, because they had been served and sacrificed for by Jesus. That's why they devoted themselves to these things. That's what they did. They devoted themselves to those four things because it kept them in the stream of God's love for them. You know, in the early church at this time, there's a huge famine going on in the known world, in the Roman world. And what was going on is, is that basically everybody was fleeing major cities because there was so much death and so much disease. And that everybody was heading for the countrysides. Right? Social distance is not a new thing. Right? But they didn't do that. That was what shocked the Greco-Roman world is, is that Christians didn't flee. They stayed. They stayed and they cleaned wounds and they created hospitality and they died caring for people. So much so that it took this kind of sidelined religious thing called Christianity and brought it into the main light. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is communion as well as in their homes and prayer. Why did they do it? They continually gave themselves to these things so that they could experience the Lord continually giving himself to them. That's why I referred to those things as a means of grace. Spiritual disciplines, we think about that, and we think about I'm doing something, right? To maybe prove something to the Lord or to maybe pull some levers for God, right? When you think about it in that terms, it's all about what am I doing in order to get God to do something. When you realize that the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, were all to keep them in the stream of experiencing what God is doing for them. You see the difference? It's a means of grace. They're not things to make God gracious, they're means to experience that He already has been and is gracious. I was thinking about Sweet Cece's the other day. What's happened to our frozen yogurt scene in Nashville? It's gone and it's wrong. It is. Some of you can remember the days of TCBY in Green Hills. I think it's a nail place now. For the record, we are underserviced in this area in Nashville. I can't believe someone in 12 South hasn't figured this out yet. I think if you did frozen yogurt and a putt-putt course, you, it's, that would basically be like having people bring you giant trash bags of money. It'd just be a big money funnel. Some of you are better at business, uh, clearly, than I am. So if, if that idea happens, intellectual property rights. Um, but no sweet cc's what I love about sweet cc's and why this is like the apostles teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer Uh, you know the thing that you can go and twist all your toppings on and all you're doing is just turning the knob right and you can turn it as much as you want and more and more of that will come out guess what twisting the knob doesn't do make the toppings appear they're already there right all you're doing is just going, shh, 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 right? They're means of grace. I'm just twisting it, and it's going to release what God has already got there for me. Jesus hints at this in John 15, right? He's basically saying this. I, I, you need to be loved by me if you're ever going to love other people the way that I love other people, and if I'm gonna love other people through you, you have to stay plugged in to my love. You have to practice my love for you together. Jesus knew that. In John 15, when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit, smack in the middle of this like giant last word session that Jesus has with his disciples. He's about to get whisked away by Judas, right? Taken to the cross. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit, their need of the Holy Spirit, And what the role of the Holy Spirit will be in their lives. And one thing that he says in there, he's given a lot of agrarian examples. You know, it's always seeds and I'm the vine and you are the branches stuff. He says this in John 15, remain in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Now in the context of what we're talking about this morning, about witness, he's basically saying this. The fruit of bearing witness, you can't do it. Apart from remaining in me, turning the knob and letting the flow of the sweet cc's of the gospel come down. You cannot be the witness that I've called and created you to be. The witness that you are called and created to be, that will flow out of your proximity to me. Remain in me, stay near to me which makes sense even on a natural level, right? We talk about what we're closest to, what we spend the most time doing, for better or for worse. So why they did these things was to remain. It was the way that they practiced remaining, drawing near to God's love for them. To have Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and through God's word and through being together, throw logs on the fire of their love. and to warm themselves on that fire of God's love for them. And in doing so, something happened. They became a bonfire of God's love that others drew close to. You ever been to a, like see a bonfire from far off, yeah? Big, big flame. Which led to new spiritual life in a lot of people. Uh, Chris Stapleton sums this up. Saint Chris, as I like to refer to him. Uh, in one of his songs, uh, I think it's second, second one to know, it's actually kind of a sad song. It's about, I think it's about yeah, infidelity, but go with me here. Um, he says this, he doesn't say it, he sings it. <laughs> Should I sing it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got such a gravelly voice. Hold on, hmm, no. He, said, he says, don't put my love on your back burner. Or he says it like this, like, don't put my love on your back burner. Yeah? And then he says this, never let anything that hot get cold. That's a strong line for the songwriters in the room, you know. It's powerful. That's, what, that's, what, that's why they did these things, these four things because they they knew I can't put your love on the back burner because I should never let anything that hot get cold. That's why David prays, not restore me to the knowledge of my salvation, restore me to the joy of my salvation, the heat of it, the intimacy of it, the beauty of it. That's why the Acts Church was devoted to these things. Not to prove their devotion to God but to improve their experience of his devotion to them. Right? They were experiencing God's ongoing and ultimate devotion to them. Because God gave them these practices, these means of grace to have their hearts repeatedly repeatedly transformed by his love. That's what they did, that's why they did it. Let me just say something for us. I hope you've been here long enough, and if you haven't, welcome, stick around. It'll change your life, I believe that. You're thinking, Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. We do all those things at Midtown. Exactly. (laughs) Because we're not making something up here, right? We're actually trying to follow the path of the early church, which is ultimately to follow Jesus and what he calls us into. That's why worship is so vital. That's why we teach The gospel, God's inspired, inherent, authoritative word, right? We teach the doctrine the apostles teach, Old Testament and New. It's why fellowship and breaking bread is so vital. It's why, see all these groups t-shirts around? It's why we practice gospel-centered discipleship in small groups and homes. This is where we got the idea, It's why we're trying to incorporate prayer more vitally into our community because all of these things working in concert with one another are the means by which the Lord works his love into us and then works his love out of us. And when you put those practices together with one another, it's powerful. It's kind of like uh, I'm a Marvel junkie, the Infinity Stones. Right? No? Yeah? Very powerful on their own. Put them all together... You can snap your fingers and change the world. I'm kidding. But seriously, it's a good picture. What happened when they practiced these things together? This devotion, this steadfast continuation of giving themselves to these things, it led to supernatural action, right? Let me read 44 through 47. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and gave possessions to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, a continuation of the supernatural, but it's probably a little, maybe seems a little less super than Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? Holy Spirit comes down. And what happens? Supernatural communication across language barriers, right? People were speaking in tongues. People were speaking languages that people didn't uh, normally speak, and people were hearing the gospel in their own native language, right? Supernatural communication happened at Pentecost. But here, shortly thereafter, we see supernatural relationships, not just communication, supernatural relationships happening across socioeconomic and ethnic and cultural barriers. Right? They were all together. Just think, just read this again. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Uh, is, he, is that just being hyperbolic? Like, how is that possible, this, this? I can't remember who read last week, I listened to it. I mean, do you remember the, the reader had to read all those crazy names? You know, Cretans and Mesopotamians and Potomacanians and aliens and all the ins, right? Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This wildly diverse group of people all of a sudden were all together and had everything in common. A supernatural relationship, a supernatural unity had begun amongst this group of people. Right? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit and because of their devotion to these rhythms, it was changing the very fabric of their relationships and their union. Go study Psalm 133. It talks a lot about this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Right? Goes on to talk about the anointing on Aaron's beard. I won't go into that. But at the end of it, it says, it's like the dew of Hermon on Mount Zion, right? And Hermon was a mountain that was super lush and vegetative and had this amazing kind of ecosystem around it. So it was green, green, green. And Zion was like a desert. He's basically saying unity like this is as rare and as supernatural as if the dew and the vegetation on Hermon happened on Zion. But that's what's happening here. They were all together. They had everything in common. Daily. They met in the temple courts in one another's homes. What is that saying? It's saying that all of life, my public and my private life, began to be about working out the gospel together. What were their hearts marked by? Gladness and sincerity. I mean, that would be supernatural. Versus grumbling and cynicism. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's a powerful statement, you should meditate on that. That everybody, even if they didn't believe what you believed, you had favor with. Proverbs talks about literally when you're walking in the paths of the Lord, that God will even make your enemies live at peace with you. So think about that, that if this community, that this part of the city, that would live in favor with the people in this room because of the way that this group of people loved and lived amongst them. And then lastly, they were all together, they had everything in common. Their daily life was reorganized, working out the gospel. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. And then in verse 45, they sold property and gave possessions to everyone who had need. This is a radical gospel-fueled generosity, hospitality. And again, when you hear hospitality, you think twinkly lights, potentially, and you know, farm-to-table meals. Uh, the word hospital is embedded in the word hospitality. Hospitality, this kind of hospitality was about being a hospital for the sick, for the broken, for the needy. Right? Christine Pohl in her book Living into Community, cultivating practices that sustain us, which is what they were doing, practices that sustain them spiritually. She says this, a life of hospitality begins in worship. It begins in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. It begins in worship. A life of hospitality begins in worship with a recognition of God's grace and generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty and responsibility. It is a response. Say that again. It is not first a duty and responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and welcome to us. What happened when they practiced these things? Supernatural relationships. Supernatural community. The, the early Christians got called the third race because they didn't have a category. It's like you're not, you're not Jew, you're not Gentile, you're something wholly other. Imagine if the world saw the church, our church, like that. That unified. That one, focused on elevating something more than ourselves or our own glory or our own names, right? They broke bread in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Not praising themselves, praising God. Think of how attractive that would be. Think of how transformational that would be. And what happened? And the Lord added, not they added, so don't get confused. You don't have to bring people to Jesus. The Lord is the one who adds people to the body. Salvation comes from the Lord. It's all His work, but man, He loves. It's His plan to involve us in it. So here's the challenge, and then I gotta go to Cree They're waiting on me. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, would you commit Because I'm sure if I followed you around or you followed me around, it would be very hard to figure out what I'm devoted to, right? What I give my time to, what I give my energy to. Would you consider this fall continually giving yourself over to those four things? To the apostles' teaching. So basically, that means would you not come to church one time every four weeks? Would you come every single week? And just like working out, it's hard to do by yourself, so grab somebody else in this room and say, will you do that with me? Will you commit to being here? Because I, I don't need to prove anything to God, but God will use this means of grace to transform my heart by continually loving me through hearing the gospel all the time. Would you, would you commit to it? Would you commit to a small group? Getting together and breaking bread in one another's homes with glad and sincere hearts, Getting around the apostles teaching again and actually allowing that not just to happen once a week but to happen throughout the week. Let God love you together in the context of the group. Would you develop a prayer life? Right? Go on that journey because all of these things, if you would devote yourselves to these things together, re-witnessing together God's love for you, remaining in Him, that witnessing thing will naturally happen. It'll become the fruit of your life. You'll talk about it. You'll become Bob, right? Baby steps. Those, are, those four things are just the baby steps, right? And pretty soon you'll find yourself on national TV in someone's life, sharing what God's done for you. So would you commit to that? And then watch what God does. Watch what he'll do. Don't put his love on your back burner. Don't ever let anything that hot get cold. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Uh, It's so clear that you do forgive us that uh, I so much more readily practice and devote myself to other things trying to get the love that I already have in you, um, distracting myself from the fact that it's already there. Would you make this church a community of people who, not out of duty or any sense of legalism, um, get committed? Uh, this is not New Year's resolution stuff. Uh, you're the committed party. You're the devoted party. And all you're doing is saying, would you practice these things regularly so I can, I can love you? And my love will transform your life. Uh, thank you for loving us, um, even when we're hard kids to love. You are committed, uh, keep loving us, Jesus, uh, I know you will. uh, Teach us what it means to love you, uh, therefore loving our neighbor as ourselves, uh, and make this community, I I pray this would become a magnetic place of people coming, uh, spiritually broken, needy, poor people coming uh, to know the love of God, in your name, amen. Amen.